Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 16. We'll be beginning with verse 1. This is another parable that Christ shared and ended up in the Bible. These parables that he taught, sometimes he just shared a truth. Other times he told a story. I feel like, and I, I could be wrong, but this is just my opinion that uh, he he did he shared some truth by means of a parable because those truths are so difficult for us to either admit to or just wrap our heads around that concept because it's so different from the way we naturally think or the way we tend to behave. That he used the parable to try to help us understand and grapple with uh, whatever truth that he's bringing across and so we have another parable uh, to, to talk about today, the parable of uh, the, uh, my Bible says, the parable of the, the dishonest manager or the parable of the unjust steward. Ever have a dishonest employee? I have, and one young man was a, um, I can't remember if he was out of work or if he was not making very much money at all of the job that he was doing, but I gave him the opportunity to, to clean uh, our church, and uh, I began to wonder how much work he was actually accomplishing, and so one Sunday, uh, we were standing in the sanctuary, and, and I, I had told him before that I wanted him to uh, mop one side of the church, at least one side, get it mopped, and the next week, you know, mop the other side. And uh, so I asked him, so which side did you mop? And, and he said, well, that side, and he pointed to a side, and I said, that's interesting, because the new mop I bought is still in its plastic wrap and he just kind of looked down and expressed disappointment at his gaff and I had to fire him he wasn't very smart He wasn't astute, as we're going to talk about with this manager, this this dishonest manager. But there was something different about him that Jesus wanted to point out, um, and we're going to discuss that today. So let's begin into let's begin with it. Verse one. He also said to the disciples, "There was a rich man who received an accusation that his man, manager was squandering his possessions." 
Whether you believe it or not, we are in fact managers of what God has given us, our money, our time, opportunity. Every single day we wake up and we take a breath, God provides something to us. So one question I have for you is, is what are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with what God has given you? Is God pleased with the way you, the decisions you have made, the actions you have taken or not taken? Do you even actually think about it in that way? Ever given it a thought? When we first started uh, Servant's Heart Chapel, I was active duty military, getting a good paycheck. Um, and uh, as you might expect, there were some extra expenses. We didn't have anything. We needed chairs and, and, and audio equipment and hymnals music and uh, just all kinds of stuff, just the very basics. Uh, and so uh, we had some stuff donated to us and we had some money given to us. Uh, but a friend of mine from back east, uh, a business owner actually, a successful business owner, um, asked me about how I was obtaining some of the items that we had, had bought. And I said, well, I'm just using my own money. And he said, well, that's not right. You shouldn't, be have, you shouldn't have to do that. And I said, why do you think God gave me a good job? It wasn't so I could just go buy a boat and, 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 and go on fancy vacations. God expects me to do something worthwhile with the money he has given me. That's the purpose of it. In fact, I was just reading this morning, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, I certainly don't agree with uh, some of the stuff that he believed, but uh, he has some interesting things to say about being rich and, and basically was stating that uh, if you're rich and um, being rich without giving to others it is worthless. People strive to be rich. Some even say, "I, you know, God wants you to be rich." Back in '95, there was a book by that very title. It, it did very well, and the author was lauded and invited on speaking engagements. and 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 I, I couldn't find. I was trying to find data on book sales, but I know it sold very well as you might expect. Everybody wants to hear that, but the problem is it's not biblical. 
fact, Proverbs 23, 9 says, do not strive to be rich. Now, God doesn't want us to be rich. He wants us to be holy. That's what the Bible says. So we... We have, sometimes can have the wrong idea about the resources that God gives us. Good health, uh, time, money, opportunity. We can become selfish with that and just you consume that upon ourselves and never, never uh, managing it. But the reality is that's not our money. We're stewards. It's not your time. You're stu- a steward. You're, you're expected to manage it. You're, you're managing God's business. And so in this case, this, this rich man found out that his manager was squandering his possessions. He was probably very high up, had a lot of authority and leeway, handled a lot of the rich man's business. And was stealing from him. Verse 2, so he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give it an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Still even today, people try to get away with stuff and, and, and they don't. And no, nobody will get away with it. Why? Because sooner or later, at some point, we will all have to give an account to God. Every idle word, every action. Are you comfortable with that? If not, you, you may need to make some changes. And the way you think about things and what you do or don't do. Verse 5, so he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. Here he's going to give us two examples of debtors, but presumably there were others. In essence, what the manager is, is now doing is robbing from his master by renegotiating the terms of the debt to lower the amount the debtors owed the master. Debtor owed him $1,000. Here, let's change it to $500. So you only owe $500 now. And we'll find out why he does that shortly. I skipped a verse. Let's go back a little bit. My bad. So verse uh, verse 2, doesn't give an account of your manager because you can no longer be my manager. Verse 3, then the manager said to himself, what should I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So his plan is like, I can't, can't do heavy labor. Begging is below me. 
And by the way, he'd be begging probably from the very same people he collected debts from. So that wouldn't be much fun. So he's going to figure out a way to ingratiate his master's customers so they look upon him favorably and that when he needs a place to stay, they'll welcome him into their homes. So his plan is to, as we see, he reduces the debt in a lot of people so they save a whole bunch of money. And that way when he gets fired, he can just go visit people. Stay with somebody for a while, go to somebody else for a while, somebody else for a while, and they'll feed him and, and, and take care of him because he, he did this for them. He made sure. He, he knew his, his life was, was in, in serious jeopardy. He was going to be on the street before long. And he has to do something. He got to figure something out. And so he does. He does whatever it takes to protect himself. And that's what we saw in verse 5. He summed his, how much do you owe my master? He asked the first one in verse 6, 100 measures of olive oil. He said, take your invoice. He told him, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice and write 80. Now the master found out about this. He found out what his dishonest manager was doing or had done already. In verse 8, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. The sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. That word astutely. Is the ability to accurately analyze a situation and turn it to one's advantage. I'm in a bad situation and you accurately assess what's going on and 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 take action to turn the situation to your advantage. That is what it is to be astute, and this manager, while dishonest, was in fact astute. Now notice that it's the master, not Jesus, per se, who's commending the shifty steward. Obviously, the, the manager or the master is not saying the manager did a great job in reducing the income the master would have received from the debtors. But what he did was praise the manager acting wisely and with insight. Jesus clearly states that the manager is unrighteous. Jesus is not suggesting uh, believers follow this man's path of unrighteous behavior. We're, it's, Jesus is saying it's okay for us to cheat people. The story is an example of prudence, not methods. In other words, the unrighteous steward was showing wisdom by using present opportunities to prepare for future needs. He was using present opportunities and information to prepare for future needs. Sinners 
strive to be shrewd. They strive to be astute, to take current situation and turn it for their advantage. They're not all, they're, I don't know what percentage it might be, probably a smaller percentage are actually successful. I remember we had one woman in our church who had recently, I thought, given her heart to Christ. But she just kind of started going in and out of church and, and she wouldn't show up for one, you know, very often. And during that time, uh, another lady in our church, Lori, needed someone to clean her house. And somehow Lori had gotten in contact with this lady or vice versa and they, they agreed that she would do some housekeeping for her. And she asked Lori to give her a month's salary in advance. I think it was about $700. She probably gave her, I don't know what reason she gave her. She probably gave her some story how she, uh, she uh, needed to pay rent and, uh, and, and, but she'll, she'll be there to, to, to do her job. She just needs the money sooner rather than later. And Lori agreed. And then Lori never saw her again. Interesting. I happened to run at, at the Hotel Clovis. I, I, I was there uh, assisting somebody else. And I ran into this woman. She was actually working for the Hotel Clovis. And she pulled me aside how happy she was to see me and, 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 and gave me the story of how you know, things are going bad for her and was wondering if I might be able to help her with some money. And I said, I'm sorry. You stole from Lori. I can't help you anymore. I'd like to say that she became instantly repentant and, and asked for forgiveness and, and, and asked God for forgiveness and, 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 and went and made it right with Lori. That didn't happen. She, she says something along the lines of, oh, I was going to pay her back. I, I just haven't yet. And she was sad when I told her I couldn't help her. She wasn't sad for her sin. She was sad for the impact her sin had on her life. She was not astute like this manager that we're reading in the Bible. But it's not... It's not just sinners that, that strive to be astute. We should be also striving to be astute. To read the current situation and use that to our advantage to be prepared for the future. What's in the future? In the future, I, I'm going to be standing before God someday and be held accountable. Eternal rewards are at stake.
And I want to be ready. I want to store up treasures in heaven. I want to prepare myself for today. But Christians tend not to do that. The Bible says, if we don't forgive, that God won't forgive us. Yet people remain bitter for somebody who's offended them sometimes even years ago. The Bible says sin leads to death, yet we rationalize sin in our life. The Bible says the world is going to hate us and we should focus on pleasing God rather than people, yet we worry about making someone angry by our righteous behavior. The Bible warns us to be careful of how we live, yet we mindlessly follow our fleshly desires and dare anyone to speak against us. The Bible tells us to test the spirits that influence our thoughts, yet we accept whatever we like and reject whatever is not convenient, no matter what the source might be. The Bible warns us that we will be judged for every word we say and don't really mean, yet we speak whatever comes to mind without any filter. The Bible says we have the power to influence others for evil and will be judged if we do, yet we don't give a second thought to convincing others to partake of our sin. The Bible says to not imitate evil, yet many Christians appropriate the dress, style, language, and philosophy of God's enemies. We are asleep. We're bombarded on every side by all kinds of amusements. And you know what amuse means? Amuse means to think. The alpha prefix in, prefix in front of it, uh, amuse, means not to think. We're a generation that's amusing ourselves into oblivion. The devil is keeping us distracted, if not turning us away from God, at least eliminate any usefulness we can be for God's kingdom. So the devil tries to do. The devil's going to try to turn you away from God, and if you can't succeed in that, at least make you useless for God's kingdom. I was thinking this morning about uh, the spiritual corpses that litter Cincinnati all around God's Bible school. Young people for decades, for generations, have gone to the school, uh, and clearly the call was upon them for ministry or missions or something, a lot, you know, for God's kingdom, and they said no. Uh, and, and they turned away from God, or they made some excuse and got distracted by some business opportunity, and they, they, they never left the region. They're all around the Cincinnati area. Cincinnati's littered with the, the corpses of the spiritually dead. The sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light and deal with their own people. We need to use what God has given us, the truth that God has given us 
in His Word and the guidance His Spirit gives us in our lives to pay attention, to wake up to the situation around us, what's going on externally and internally, assess a situation, and make an intelligent, correct, and wise plan, uh, plan of action on what we're going to do. We want to we live in a way that's going to glorify God, that's going to be a blessing to others, and thereby preparing for our, our own future. Verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. As the steward made friends with money and was welcomed into their homes, we are to use the money God gives us to not spend it on our own pleasures, but to use it for God's glory, to help those in need, to cover the cost of the church, to pay for the gospel to be spread so that we will be welcomed into heaven one day. Unlike this, this steward, God expects us to be good stewards. But like this steward, encourages us to, to be astute. Make good decisions. Don't amuse yourself. Don't be distracted. Don't amuse yourself to death and not think about what's going on and how that's impacting eternity. Verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. That's a maxim that's hard to disprove. And it begs the question, can God count on you? There's a story of a young man who uh, was about to graduate college and he saw this sports car at a dealership and just absolutely fell in love with it and he knew his dad could easily afford it. So he told his dad, that's all I want for graduation, that car. Graduation day came and his dad called him into his den and, and he handed him a small box. And the, and, and the young man opened the box, and inside was a Bible. And that made the young man mad. He said, as much money as you have, you give me a Bible? He threw it down on his dad's desk, and he walked out. Walked out of his dad's life. Years went by. And the young man got word that his father had passed away, and so he he went ahead and went and settled his dad's affairs. And he walked into the den, and he, and he saw the Bible still sitting 
on his dad's desk. And he opened up the Bible and he's flipping through. A key fell out from the back of the Bible. A key with a dealership tag. You know, God wants to give us great gifts. But we dismiss the ones that we perceive as small. God wants, like the people, I'm going to restate that. God wants to give us great gifts, but we, we dismiss the ones we perceive as small. And so we miss out on those great gifts. But the gift that uh, God gives us isn't small. It's not unimportant. It's not of little value. Just like the Father giving the Son, I would argue the Bible was of greater value than the car. Y'all know I, I like cars. I like sports cars. But if I was given the choice, but let's say I didn't already have multiple Bibles, but I, and I didn't have a sports car already, I was missing both those items, and someone offered to give me a car or a Bible, I would take the Bible for greater value. The people and people do the same thing with God. I had people. I've had people who I think get saved get upset with God when their life like their low paying they're still stuck with a low paying job they can't figure out why God won't give them a better paying job and they just got saved their sins were just forgiven blotted out no more to be held against them they are no longer under condemnation <coughs> and they have the hope of heaven to look forward to thinking about they're thinking about well, why didn't God give me a better paying job and God wants to make great use of us but we dismiss the opportunities that he does give because we perceive them as small Thought about Samuel Bringle this morning. Samuel Bringle was a, a, a leader in the Salvation Army, but he didn't start off that way. Start off that way. Leader of the Salvation Army wrote many books, led many to Christ, led a, 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 an amazing Christian leader, very influential. He didn't start out that way. Young, as a young man, he decided he wanted to join the Salvation Army and he'd already had a great deal of success even as young as he was. And, and he went to England and met with William Booth, the, the founder of the Salvation Army. And Mr. Booth almost didn't let him in. He thought the kid was too full of himself. He was too used to being his own boss. 
So I said, okay, we'll, we'll let you join the Salvation Army. And the first day of work, he led him to a room and opened up the room, and the room was filled with old boots. And he was told, this is what he's going to be doing for a while, shining boots. This college-educated, accomplished preacher in a dark room, shining boots. He, he, was, he was put off at first. But then he prayed, Lord, if you, can, if you can wash their feet, I can black their boots. And then he did it with gusto, with all his heart. And then God, him, God gave him greater opportunities. Verse 11. So if you have not been faithful with the unrighteous with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? How we handle our money says a lot about the condition of our heart. Jesus made it clear, if you fail to properly manage treasures on earth, you will not be given heavenly treasures. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household servant can be a slave to two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be a slave to both God and money. How can you tell if you're a slave to money? If you answer yes to most of these questions, you may have a problem. First question. Do you think and worry about it frequently? Number two, do you give up doing what you should do or would like to do in order to make more money? Number three, do you spend a great deal of your time caring for your possessions? Number four, is it hard for you to give money away? Number five, are you in debt? Now, while just one of them may not necessarily indicate you have a problem with money, if you have more than that, you may want to consider it. And the more you have to say yes to, the more likely it is that you're, in fact, a slave to money. I'll close with, 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 with this. Um, Back in the summer, summer of 1995, I, I would travel during the summers of that time, uh, before I got married, I, I would spend my summers at home with my parents and work at a, lo, uh, a local seed research facility in Phoenix, Arizona. And I spent a lot of time in the warehouse weighing samples and writing down numbers uh, and occasionally going into the warehouse and helping them move stuff around. Uh, it wasn't exciting work, but I got a paycheck for it. 
and it was comfortable most of the time. And I got to listen to the radio while I did the lab work. But one of the researchers, uh, a guy with a doctorate degree in biology, and and he had great vision. He he was second to he was the, the second guy in the lab, the second researcher. The first one was an older gentleman who was close to retirement, and the younger guy could not wait for him to retire. He's like, hold me back. I want to do great things and make a lot of money. That's what I want to do. And we had a talking about that one day, and he, and he asked me about what my life plans were, and I was telling him I was, you know, uh, focusing on somewhere in the ministry. I wasn't sure where God wanted me to be, but that's, that's the direction I was going. And we got on to, uh, you know, trying to make as much money as you can, it being an objective, a viable objective in life. And I told him I really wasn't interested in how much money I made as long as I had enough to pay the bills. And he couldn't understand that. He couldn't comprehend that. That just, that just blew his mind. And he thought, I'm sure he thought I was an absolute fool. But you know, I mean, close to 30 years since I had that conversation with that guy, I have not focused on trying to make as much money as I could. I focused on what do I need to do to please the Lord. And God has always taken care of us. God has blessed us. I think I made the right choice. Let's endeavor to make the right choice. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.